Well, before we begin studying, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We are going to read for our Torah study one verse. So you can turn there to Numbers chapter 31, verse 8. And just to set the stage, uh, this week we're reading maybe the final chapter in the series about Balaam and the, he is the false prophet who tried to curse Israel and did things in dastardly ways. And in this week's readings, we learn that Balaam, in the south, how do you say Balaam? Balaam. Yeah, not Balaam. Balaam. That's right. Okay, we're going to learn good southern pronunciation. Balaam. <laughs> I grew up in the south. I can speak southern when I need to. Uh, we learn that Balaam is held accountable for the plan that he came up with to destroy Israel through uh, spiritual rebellion and sexual immorality. Remember, he, he tried to curse Israel, but the Lord thwarted him in that. And so he came up with another plan, which was to seduce Israel into spiritual and sexual immorality to use the women of Moab and apparently Midian as well in order to uh, pull the Israelites away from their faithful service to God. And that plan did work. And it cost thousands of people their lives. Balaam was determined to curse Israel. And the scriptures later comment that it was because of his love of money for doing wickedness that, um, that he persevered. And he was not only the mastermind, but the way the scripture tells the story, he was legally and personally culpable for the effects of the plan. He did not only come up with the plan, but he was held responsible by God and by uh, the Lord's system of justice for the destruction and the death that he actually caused. And I know sometimes we can read stories about this and the, the wars and the battles that we read about during Israel's time in the wilderness and then afterwards, and we can get confused. But I can tell you, you probably would not have wanted to live during such times. You probably... Uh, would have found them very difficult. Not because of the wars and the battles, not that, but because of the people around who had fallen into such sin and rebellion and evil that there was just wickedness abounding in so many ways. And it required, it required war during the time of the Nazis. It required war during... Uh, other times, it's required war. We live, 
we live in uh, a hundred-year period that was just filled with terrible tyranny and, and great violence against humanity. And the people who were rescued by warriors, if you will, are grateful for those who fought for them. And so it's important to, to think about things clearly. Our God is a God of peace, but he is not unwilling to protect his people from grave threat. And he calls for us to have courage and to be willing as well to protect those who are vulnerable and in great danger. Well, Balaam is ultimately held accountable for Israel breaking faith with the Lord. And here was the penalty. It cost him his life. Thousands of others lost their lives because of him. And he paid with his life. Numbers 31, verse 8, tells us that he was killed by the sword. And future writers in the scriptures would conclude that Balaam was an evil person. The Apostle Peter said, Balaam, son of Baor, loved to earn money by doing wrong, or he loved the wages of wickedness. Uh, pimps are like that. Human traffickers are like that. They love the wages of wickedness. Judah, Jude, said that Balaam deceived people for money. And he, he joined Cain, Korach, and Balaam together and considered them like the similar or the same kinds of people who were given over to doing evil that brought harm to many, not only to themselves. And so he's not a hero. Balaam is not a good example for us. He had spiritual power sometimes. He had some spark of good intentions, but he chose the way of evil. He went in an evil direction. Now, I've been thinking for the last few weeks, not so much about Balaam, but about this other question. Why did so many people of Israel leave the Lord and go into the seduction and the immorality that was part of Balaam's plan? You know, what made them vulnerable? And I don't want to say that I have all the answers to that, but I have some thoughts about it. And I was thinking about how people become vulnerable. And there are a lot of ways that we can become vulnerable. One, one way is really straightforward. If a person has never had a life-changing transformation in their relationship with God, if they're religious, but they've never dealt with their own sin before God, if they did not know that repentance before God and humbling ourselves before God is a key to getting right with him, then, then they're vulnerable all the time, whether they know it or not. Because everybody in that condition is especially vulnerable. They're already trapped in a way of living that's separated from God, even though it's marked by religious activity. 
But I was thinking about another group of people. And maybe it's not directly connected to those who, who followed in this plan of seduction. But it, it's people who are disappointed in the Lord and the way he's working and his answers, his time frame, his, his, his plan. And they're looking for power from other sources. They're looking for an alternative solution. There's an old Israeli joke that goes something like this, uh, secular Israeli who considered himself a real atheist, was uh, hiking in the mountains, and he got too close on a cliff and started slipping, and he fell actually off the cliff. And as he's falling down the cliff, he cries out to the God he doesn't believe in, help me! And lo and behold, there's this tree growing out of the cliff, and he grabs hold of it, and it's like, oh. And then he hears this voice that says, let go of the tree. And it's the Lord. And he knows it. And he says, uh, if I let go of the tree, I'll die. And he says, no, trust me. I've already caught you once. Trust me. And he says, no, nah, if I let go, I'm going to keep falling. And the Lord says, no, I'll catch you. The guy says, help, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> yeah, a guy in Jerusalem told me that story. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, when, when God is saving us in order to save us, we're still disappointed in the way he's working. Or even when we started following him, we're disappointed in the way he's working. We're disappointed in our own troubles, the difficulties, the breakthroughs that, that we were hoping for. And we're disappointed in his answers or lack of answers. And in that condition of disappointment, there's a vulnerability, which is to look elsewhere. Is there anybody else up there? Who else can save us? And that's something I think we can all identify with. Maybe we can't imagine ourselves being one of those who goes off into the seductions of uh, the idolatrous women. But we can ask this question. Are we ever struggling with disappointment or with hopelessness or fear or just wondering, can I make it? And there are times, I think, when if we are in the state of vulnerability, we may be tempted to trade our faithfulness to God for something that we think will bring immediate relief. And we have to be careful. And I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give up on the Lord. We're at a time when we're praying for lots of people with difficult situations. And we have some amazing things to tell you, some amazing answers. But we also have some situations 
that aren't amazing. And I was thinking about this. When, when you hear that someone else got the breakthrough that you wanted, and when you feel like you've held on, but you don't have any more power to hold on, when you've been expecting the Lord to work a certain way, then there's some vulnerability. And if you give yourself an escape clause for your faith, then you'll find yourself in a place of trouble one day. An escape clause is something like this, something you say to yourself in the, in the hidden places, in the secret times, you, you say, if God doesn't do this, I, I'm, I'm not going to keep going with him. Or if he does this other thing, I'm, I'm not going to keep going with him. Sometimes people can uh, get all mixed up in, in motivations. And one of the ways to test yourself is to ask yourself this question, what kind of people do I like to fellowship with? Do I like to fellowship with people whose faith doesn't stand up, whose faith hasn't stood up, who have given in and given up? Because if I fellowship with them, you know what? They will become the river that pulls me somewhere during the times of trouble. And that's why it's so important to fellowship with people who understand difficulty and who have gone through storms and who have persevered and not given up and haven't um, been overtaken by cynicism and, and despair. All of us can fall into despair if the circumstances are hard enough, long enough. And I'll quote the Apostle Paul on this one because if you think you're not vulnerable, then you may not be accurate. Paul wrote the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He said, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. That's serious, isn't it? I'm quoting the Apostle Paul. I'm not quoting, you know, like... a modern person. Here's a man who went through so much and he was able to reflect on it and say, we almost gave up. We almost thought, I can't keep living. I don't know how I can endure. I don't know that I can do it. But at a moment like that, there is an important opportunity and that is to throw everything you've got all of your weaknesses, all of your sorrows, all of your disappointment onto God that he could become strength for you when you have no strength. And when, he, when you know you can't hang on to know this one other thing, he can hang on to you. He can pick you up. We read the, um, the Amidah, we pray each week, Somech Noflim, you lift up the falling. Verofecholim, you heal the sick. You see, the one who's falling, the Lord knows how to, to get her, to get him. 
and to help him back up. So the, the important thing I want to remind you of is when you have no more strength, it's still okay. It just means you can't rely on your strength anymore. When you have no more resources, that's okay. It just means you can't rely on your resources anymore. But you're left with an opportunity to rely on the resources of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord. There are times I've experienced where my sacrifice to the Lord was my own sorrow. And I would say to the Lord, the only thing I have to bring to you right now is my sorrow. But I'm bringing that to you. I'm bringing my tears to you. And you know what? He receives that. And that's why Yeshua was able to say, I give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You come to me with these things and I give you something else. But you know what the key is? Who you come to to make the trade. Don't go to the bar. Don't go to the drug house. Don't go to the prostitute. Don't go to the pawn shop. Go to the Lord. And you might say, you know, what I have is so little and worthless. I, it's all I can bring to you. I don't have any more. That widow who, who brought that tiny coin, she was a widow. You know what that means. She had no husband. She didn't have the protection or the provision. And yet she came to the Lord. Do you understand that? She came to the Lord and she took that little that she had left and she gave it to the Lord. It was the same with that widow who the prophet went to and said, what do you have? And she said, you know, we got like a little oil and some flour, just enough for one last meal before we die. And he said, well, make me a cake. <laughs> Patty cake. Bake me a cake. Which sounded outrageous, right? But take that oil also. You know, whatever you have left, and just pour it into a jar. And she did. Do you remember what happened? The jar was filled. Keep pouring. Keep pouring. Does it make any sense? Yeah. Because that was the word of the Lord. That wasn't wishful thinking. That wasn't imagination. That wasn't prosperity doctrine. That was the Lord. And the Lord said, I want to provide for you. I want to provide for you. So you offer your sacrifice, whatever it is, whatever it is. And when you do that, you know what? The Lord comes close. The Lord put it this way in Isaiah. He said, I draw near to the brokenhearted. 
and the contrite. Not to the high and the mighty, but to the one who's already been broken and has nothing left. The Lord comes down to be with those who have gotten to the end. You don't have to be broke to get to the end. I know some people with a lot of money who found that they got to the end of thinking their money could do for them what God can do for them. I know people whose marriages have gotten to the end. And they got to that place of saying, Lord, I I can't fix it, but if you could, and you'll show us and you'll help us, if you'll give me anything to sow into this marriage, I'll do it. And he starts doing it. When you don't give up and you don't give in, but you use your last strength to hang on to the Lord or let him hang on to you, you know what? It's a good thing to do. You won't be humiliated or ashamed for having done it. Well, I want to share with you some interesting experiences that people have had in the last few days as we've been praying for them. It's, it seems like a lot of people in the congregation are going through serious health issues, among other things, and a variety of crises. And uh, it's not because it's bad luck to be in the congregation. <laughs> That's not it. It's because, it's because the Lord knows how to sustain us through such times. And he knows that one of the beautiful things about this congregation is there are people who show love to those who desperately need it. So Gary shared with us, he asked... Um, over the last few weeks, couple months, that we pray for his honorary granddaughter, Haley, because she was having heart problems that were life-threatening. At the time, the doctors didn't know what, uh, what the cause was or what the fix was. And then recently, they determined that she needed some oblations in her heart and she needed a pacemaker. And so she was... Um, she had open heart surgery this week. And how old is she, Gary? She just turned 20. 20. 20 needing open heart surgery. So they opened her heart up and they did two ablations and they were getting ready to install a pacemaker, right? And determined she doesn't need a pacemaker. And her heart was like doing better. Isn't that great? And so they closed her up without a pacemaker. Isn't that awesome? And so I'm grateful to every single person who prayed even one prayer for her because God used prayer to help. Isn't that awesome, Gary? But being on the other side of it, seeing her go through that, and now she has a good life ahead of her. Yes? It's not that she's on the brink of death. Now she's entered into a whole new chapter. And we can give thanks to the Lord. Open heart surgery, 
home two days later. What a great medical system. <laughs> it's not like a hotel where they want you to stay longer. We prayed last week for Jane Dando, who had had some problems with AFib in her heart last year, and a series of uh, issues with her heart over the last few years. It was really um, a quite, quite a difficult situation that she was facing, and she was to be hospitalized and given a, a, a drug that required in-hospital monitoring because of potential dangerous side effects and so forth. And the question um, was, you know, how much surgery and procedure is she going to need uh, while she's in the hospital? And the doctors were actually preparing to do a, a pretty serious procedure on her. Very serious. And um, there was like some problem at the hospital. What? It, part was maybe a scheduling issue. And then maybe getting her blood pressure to the right point, whatever. So they had to keep putting off uh, anything. Well, they decided that she was ready for this surgery. I, was it Wednesday? It, they decided they were going to do it Thursday morning? Yeah, something like that, close to that. Uh, so many stories, they're, they're blurring together a little bit. So they uh, prepare her for surgery, and during that process, <laughs> find out that overnight her heart had been fixed. Yeah. <clears throat> and they were going to have to do some very complicated things in order to get her heart to beat correctly and together and not be in this aphid uh, condition. But overnight, her heart was changed. And so the doctors, you know, they, they were preparing, and they said, <laughs> yeah, that was their answer. <laughs> and Bill Dando was letting us know, Jane's husband. I said, wait a minute, let me get this right. They were prepared for the procedure, and then they went to do the procedure, and there was nothing to do. Yeah. They didn't need to do the procedure, so they didn't. Because they do check the heart before they do that one last thing. Yeah. So isn't that great? Now, of course, I said, well, I, yeah, I'll take that if you're serving up more, you know. But I want to tell you, um, sometimes when people hear a good report that somebody else has, they think, well, what about me? Why not me? Why, 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 why? And that why is misdirected. Instead, what we can say is, thank you, Lord, for what you did for her. Uh, standing on its own, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy to her. She's been through a lot 
before. Thank you, Lord, for this great miracle of your own compassion. Thank you, Lord, for that. So don't fall in the trap that can make you vulnerable to going off in another direction. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for her. And so I heard this news. I, I like to verify things. Did I understand correctly? She didn't get the procedure and she doesn't need the procedure that she absolutely went into the hospital to get? Yeah. And what did the doctor say? Good. Good. I love doctors. But I, I think it's good for them to be baffled every so often. Don't you? So an, another report we heard from Yaffa. Yaffa's been uh, up in the hospital out of town for this major surgery to remove a tumor inside her brain, uh, a pituitary tumor that was causing grave problems for her. And she had her surgery and um, she wrote this morning I think it was. It was a success. They removed all the bad stuff and left all the good stuff. <laughs> That's good, right? But actually, today she's recovering and she has headaches because you know if they... And she has some nosebleeds, which is to be expected because the doctor gave her two points of entry as choices for the surgery. One was through the eye, and she took door number two, which was through the nose. Um, and so she's, <laughs> and that was an easy choice for her. It's like, absolutely the nose. Go, I don't care. So she does have some nose bleeding, which is normal to, and to be expected. And, you know, some headache, which I think is also normal, you know, when the surgeon has to go in there. But he, he removed the tumor, and um, she was concerned she would lose her faculties or some other things, but she's capable of texting, so hallelujah for that. So we want to pray for her complete recovery, for her stability, and for all that's ahead for her. Eric Painter had his gallbladder out, and while he was still under uh, the effects of the painkillers, he thought, well, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> but as they wore off, it's like, oh, <laughs> there's stuff going on here. <laughs> Yow! So uh, his recovery is proceeding in a normal way, but it's not easy. Um, and he, like many who have gallbladder surgery, think, ah, oh, I can quickly get back to normal. But even breathing deeply is not easy for a week or two. Uh, but in any case, he's doing good and is looking forward to a complete recovery. And um, Chris Dorman is here. He's still got pains, serious pain, from uh, 
The shingles, yes? Yeah, but this is in your body, not their body. So you can feel it differently, right? So we want to pray. And, and there's some other people, Bob Cregan, Carol's husband, who's had uh, some complications and a variety of challenges uh, with the additional care that he needs after his uh, heart treatment. And Mike Gordon, who is recovering, but needs more occupational therapy and some help in, that's going to take some time. So he was at the doctor's this week and uh, is taking some rest this weekend. So um, he's moving forward, but it's still, it's a slower process. And then I've got my surgery July 25th. And I got my post-op instructions by email yesterday, and I read them carefully today, and it's like, well, they're more complicated than what the doctor told me. Potentially. Like two months of no heavy exertion. I guess that means I don't have to take out the trash. And... <laughs> That's how I read it. But, <laughs> but when we asked the doctor about it in person earlier, <laughs> he said, now one week you are limited, you can't lift more than 10 pounds, and then you can go back to your normal chores. <laughs> but what they sent me was more complicated, and I think it's the generic, you know, to prepare you. Okay, get ready. And if it takes longer, it's normal. So, um, so that's my situation. Well, I shared this range of reports, and I want to encourage you to join me in praying for each of these people. But also, some of you are in the middle of situations, and you fit on one end or the other. You're, you're, you may be saying, hallelujah, the Lord did miracles for me, and we're rejoicing with you. And you may be saying, well, I feel like the person who's not getting those kinds of miracles. And I'm about out of steam. I don't know if I can keep going. Wherever you are on that spectrum, know this, that when you run out of your strength, there's still reserves. It's, it's better than reserves. It's not your strength anymore. It's God who strengthens you. And so there's no need to give up because you've become weak. There's no need to give up because there's one more battle that you have to wage or fight or survive. If you read carefully the Torah portion this week, you'll find that this particular battle with Balaam's allies was something that Moses had to oversee. And then the Lord said, and after that, I'll take you. Meaning, and then you die. And Moses didn't go, well, heck. <laughs> That's not how I'm going to end. I was thinking of a vacation. And after that battle, we can stick with Moses all the way through to the end, and we find out he praised the Lord right up until the last moment. 
the last moment. And he basically said to Israel, stick with God, no matter what. Be faithful. He is faithful. And he praised the Lord right up until the end. And that's a great inspiration for all of us. Don't give up. Don't, and, and don't fall into that trap, but I can't go on anymore. Of course you can't. But you serve a God who can carry you through. You serve a God who can lift you up. He, when you're falling, he can pick you back up. Lord, thank you for your mercies. Thank you that today we're rejoicing for miracles, for young ones and old ones, for those who face life-threatening illness, for those who needed the most complicated of surgeries. And we thank you that their lives continue. Thank you for the way that you rescue and the way that you save and you renew our strength and we recover. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for, for those who have continued to hold on to you and allowed you to hold on to them even through the midst of these challenges. I pray for, for men and women, teenagers right now, children, young and old, those who are thinking, I don't know if I can make it. And Lord, we look to you, our eyes are on you, and we declare you are our defense, and we will not be moved. You are our shield. You are our protector. You are our maker. You know us. You know us by name. You love us and care for us. And you sustain us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, we know our lives are hidden in you. And we trust you. In the name of Yeshua, we declare. Amen. So we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Please rise. And if you're by yourself, would you please stand somewhere else so you're not yivarecha adonai v'yishmarecha yeir adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha yisa adonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha shalom the Lord bless you the Lord keep watch over you and protect you the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Amen.